0: If you open the front of your hymnal, you'll find, believe it or not, Wesley's instructions for singing, which I confess I have never read. <laughs> As we start the service of singing through our Christian history, hear these words from our founder. But don't just listen to them. Let's take it to heart, and some of them are quite practical. So these were uh, the the introduction to select hymns. So the first one makes more sense when you know that. Learn these tunes before you learn any others. Afterwards, learn as many as you please. Sing them exactly as they are printed here, without altering or mending them at all. And if you've learned to sing them otherwise, unlearn it as soon as you can. (laughs) Sing all. See that you join with the congregation as frequently as you can. Let not a slight degree of weakness or weariness hinder you. It is a cross to you. Take it up, and you will find it a blessing. Sing lustily and with good courage. Beware of singies if you were half dead or half asleep. (laughs) But lift up your voice with strength. Be no more afraid of your voice now, no more ashamed of its being heard than when you, were, when you sung the songs of Satan. Sing modestly. Do not bawl so as to be heard above and distinct from the rest of the congregation, that you may not destroy the harmony, but strive to unite your voices together so as to make one clear melodious sound. Sing in time. <laughs> Whatever time is sung, be sure to keep with it. (laughs) Do not run before or stay behind it, but attend close to the leading voices and move therewith exactly as you can. And take care not to sing too slow. This drawling way naturally steals all who are lazy. It is high time to drive it out from us and sing all of our tunes just as quick as we did at first. Above all, sing spiritually. Have an eye to God in every word you sing. Aim at pleasing him more than yourself or any other creature. In order to do this, attend strictly to the sense of what you are singing and see that your heart is not carried away with the sound, but offered to God continually. So shall your singing be such that the Lord will approve here and reward you when he cometh in the clouds of heaven.
1: And so we begin. The story of our first hymn began in 5th century Ireland with a somewhat familiar story of the devotion of St. Patrick. His religious devotion and practices defied the ruling king. Threatened with death, Patrick continued to practice his faith with such devotion That the king not only allowed him to live but allowed him to continue to practice in mission and ministry over the next 300 years the story of saint patrick would be told and retold in ireland finally in a time of deep struggle for the country it was father dalian fargail who put pen to page and wrote the words of be thou my vision He then placed the poem to a familiar Irish tavern tune. As I said, it was a time in Ireland's history in desperate need of renewed vision. The hymn became a theme song for the renewed vision in Ireland and would be sung for centuries to come well beyond those emerald shores. So let's stand and sing it together. Be Thou My Vision, number 451. Thank you.
2: you. Yeah.
0: The year was 1528, and a monk named Martin Luther was in the midst of a growing conflict with the Catholic Church. It was not a conflict of violence, and yet it was a war of might. Luther believed the Catholic Church had lost its way. He sought to remind the Church that the themes of Jesus were focused on themes like freedom for the oppressed and giving rather than taking. These are the themes we're going to see again and again as we sing these great hymns. Luther knew that, in order to overcome the power of church abuses, it would take the full force of God. Luther, turning to psalm forty six knew that he could find shelter, courage, power, and motivation within that source. God could be a fortress of protection of might of what was right, so Luther sought to build something strong and mighty that could withstand the onslaught he knew was coming the Onslaught came, but Martin Luther held true to his belief that God was stronger even than the church. And so the words of this hymn reflect reflect that belief and motivated not only by Luther, but by many who came after him to fight a similar fight. They believe that God could be and contributes to be, continues to be, a fortress for right. Let's sing that hymn.
1: Charles Wesley, Isaac Watts may have been the most recognized, respected, and gifted hymn writer in history. What we may not know is the reason he wrote so many hymns. He struggled with the practice in the Church of England to only sing Old Testament psalms as a part of the church liturgy. He saw it as a kind of groaning under the inconvenience and morbidity. As a direct response, he began to write hymns that focused on the New Testament, on hope, on Christ, and even on grace. One of his most revered subjects was the power of the cross and its needed influence on Christians of his day. The year was 1707. As difficult as it may be for us to understand, defying the Church of England took immense courage. Watts didn't just defy the Church of England. Once, he wrote hundreds of hymns that focused beyond the songs of songs of David, and on the practices of Christianity. What sets this one apart is the simply is the simple beauty he is able to capture. Let's sing one of his first hymns: "When I Survey the Wondrous Cross." And for the sake of history. We'll sing it with the original tune rather than the tune that may be more familiar. When I survey the wondrous cross, hymn 299. Please stand as you're able.
0: My suggestion, since this is an unfamiliar tune, is let the choir sing the first verse, then join us in the rest.
1: The In as much as John Wesley identified the purpose of the hymns and how we are to sing them, Paul helps us understand why we sing and what it can do in the midst of our worship and our relationships. Hear these words from the letter to the Ephesians.
0: So do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit as you sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs among yourselves, singing and making melody to the Lord in your hearts, giving thanks to God the Father at all times and for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Be subject to one another, out of reverence for Christ. Holy Wisdom, Holy Word. Thanks. Thanks
1: Confession may be good for the soul, but in this case, so was writing one of the most familiar and most beloved of all hymns. The year was 1779 and the slave trade was active in America. Ironically, only four years after this country declared freedom and independence from what many considered the English oppression, slavery and the slavery trade was, an, was as active in America as anywhere else in the world. And John Newton was one of those traders. It was an overwhelming realization on one crossing of the Atlantic, in hearing the suffering of those being held below decks, that Newton realized the depth of his sin. He began work on this hymn as he chose not only to leave the slave trade, but to begin to fight against it. It was a matter of faith, and yet he knew the depth of his previous sins could only be overcome by the overwhelming grace of God and he needed to include the actions he would take for the remainder of his life. It was in that combination that he hoped he might overcome, if possible, the wretch that he knew he was. God's grace is amazing, powerful, oft overwhelming, and it is out of that feeling of grace that John Newton wrote, Amazing Grace, How Sweet the Sound. Let's sing it now with that story in mind, and remain seated, and may this hymn prepare us for a time of prayer. It's found on in three seventy-eight in your hymnal. Verse one,
0: three, and six.
1: the choir sings the anthem this morning, will you join me in prayer? God, on this Memorial Day weekend, we lift up all of those who have served this country so faithfully and who have given their lives for causes of freedom around the globe. We thank you for their service, their dedication, and even their sacrifice. We ask that you surround those families of those who have fallen in the line of service and particularly on those who go to lay flowers and flags at the final resting places of loved ones. We pray for our military across the globe. We also pray for those at Lazy F who are working so that the children of at least some of those military families have a place they can go to be loved, supported, supported, encouraged, and surrounded. We pray for our extended Aldersgate family as we worship in two places this morning. And now in this time of silence, we lift up other names and other needs. And now let us unite our voices in the prayer taught to us by Jesus, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come,
2: I'm We'll
0: 1885. But it wasn't England or even America. This beloved hymn came from Sweden, moved through Germany and then into Russia. The words were written by Carl Gustav Boberg, a Swedish-born poet who, upon walking home from church one day, saw on the horizon a tremendous storm. Lightning flashed across the sky and the wind began to blow with great ferocity across the meadows and fields of grain. The storm passed, and a rainbow appeared. Upon arriving home, Boberg opened the windows in his cottage, looked across the bay to the woods, and heard the song of a thrush. And just as the bird completed its song, the bells of the church began to chime. He was overwhelmed with what he had witnessed in but one afternoon and evening. Later, Boberg's nephew would tell the rest of the story. Carl had taken inspiration from Psalm 8, wrote the poem, and used it in what was then the underground church. At that time in Sweden's history, Baptists and Quakers were being persecuted. This hymn was a reminder that God is greater than any persecution. Thus it moved to other places where reminders were needed. Over time, it has become one of the most beloved of all hymns. It is How Great Thou Art. Let's sing it together and I think we need to stand for this one please. (laughs)
1: And this next hymn describes beautifully the nature of the country in 1923. The war had ended and the Great Depression had not yet come. The world seemed to be at peace and God's faithfulness was a tangible presence throughout much of this country. This is the one hymn that really doesn't have some significant underlying story. It was written by Charles Chisholm. An uneducated American poet. He wrote this poem toward the end of his life after suffering from some illness that left him weak. He realized that the words found in Lamentations 3 21 through 23 were true. The scripture states But this I call to mind, and in this I find my hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases, His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is God's faithfulness. It was after reading that simple verse that he felt led to write the poem and then put it to music. It became one of this country's most beloved hymns. It is simple, based in a more ancient tune, but is deeply familiar even these many years later. Let's sing the first and last verses Of great is thy faithfulness. Number 140 in your hymnal.
0: so much easier to follow Wesley's instructions when it's a great old hymn we know by heart. <laughs> as our final hymn and as part of our benediction this morning, we examine a hymn that was written within most of our lifetimes. It was written in 1981 by a priest named Father David Schut. Sachet has written many Okay. <laughs> Spells it differently twice Has written many hymns But none more powerful than this one It was so powerful in fact That not, not long after it was released It found its way to Central and South America Both were going through times of revolution Oppression, killings and strife A motivating force was needed For those who sought to free sisters and brothers From oppression And this hymn became that call it was translated into Spanish and sung over and over again as a cry for freedom, a cry for people to unite, a cry for Christians to step forward as people of faith and as done in the past and answer God's call with, Here I am, send me. The hymn is, Here I am, Lord. And we'll close with this message to each of us to answer God's call and live our lives as Christ did. Let's sing this together. So as we send you forth, I want you to think about the Holy Spirit came upon so many people and inspired them through a language, a mathematical language that everybody can understand, that expresses joy, that expresses sorrow, that we can all understand through music without words. You know when the song is joyful. You know when the song is sad. And you you know that because of a language that God created and he put inside of us. So I want you to think about that as you leave today. It's such a miraculous thing to me.